You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams. In this episode, we continue a discussion on the filmmaker Martin Scorsese and his films, Goodfellas and Cape Fear. Joining me once again for this theme and this episode is returning guest, Mr. Ben Teed. Hello, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that we are still proud members of the Deliberate Noise Network. Search Deliberate Noise or Comic Book Noise or Movie Noise in your podcast app for more great shows from the network. Mr. Teed, what are you ha- having to drink and is it a cider? It is not a cider. It's not even alcohol. We don't have any in the house. I'm disappointed. Boo. But the closest thing we have to it is Coca-Cola. Oh. I'm having it in a glass, a Coca-Cola glass. Just as harmful for your body. And you know what? Yeah. As I say, what difference does it? It's my <laughs> drug of choice. I think, I think, um, I think, uh, Henry Hill, his choice of, uh, drug, uh, his drug of choice was Coke as well. Oh, that's the, right. The other well, kind. So uh, it kind of fits. Yeah, and Max Cady said that he always he had to have one vice, and his was the uh, cigar that he was chomping throughout that film. I want to say at some point, probably Marty even had a drug of choice. Ah, uh, maybe <laughs> during this period, I would think so. I would think so. Uh, so I am having something a little bit different from what I typically have during a recording. So it is not vodka and water, but it is a uh, one of actually our favorite wines that i'm not sure that i've had on here in quite a while but it is from uh it is from the uh is from dave matthews from dave matthews band and it is his um it's a red blend and it is called crush and it is quite good and my wife and i will get it fairly often um not so often to where it's not like a ooh yay special treat kind of a thing but but it's kind of in the regular rotation and we both uh, like it quite a bit. And nice. so that's what I'm having. And it is uh, surprisingly good. I know that uh, Francis Ford Coppola is the other person that I know just kind of slaps their name on some wine. And there's, it's kind of like here buy this because my name's on it. Um, but this one is, uh, it's good. It's a, it's a, just a little bit on the sweet edge to where I couldn't drink more than a glass of it probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what, uh, that's what I'm having. Nice. So, yeah. So let's, uh, that's what we're drinking. Those are the films that we're going to be talking about. We're going to go chronologically, of course, because it wouldn't make any sense otherwise. And we're starting in 1990 with this film, Goodfellas. Never ran on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Hey, Mom, what do you think? You look like a gangster. I know I'd By the time I grew up, there was $30 billion a year in cargo moving through Idlewild Airport. Believe me, we tried to steal every bit of it. What do you do? I'm in construction. He's not Jewish. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. For most of the guys, killings got to be accepted. Hey, Henry. Here's an arm. Very funny, guys. Here's a leg. Here's a wing. <laughs> what do you like, the leg or the wing? It's you. For 
just to live any other way was nuts. <laughs> and we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. It's gonna be a good summer. <laughs> it was a glorious time. In a world that's powered by violence, on the streets where the violent have power, a new generation carries on an old tradition. And the IMDb plot synopsis for Goodfellas goes like this. Henry Hill might be a small-time gangster who may have taken part in a robbery with Jimmy Conway and Tommy DeVito, two other gangsters who might have set their sights a bit higher. His two partners could kill off everyone else involved in the robbery and slowly start to think about climbing up through the hierarchy of the mob. Henry, however might be badly affected by his partner's success, but will he consider stooping low enough to bring about the downfall of Jimmy and Tommy and what in the world, Benjamin Teed? <laughs> These IMDb <laughs> synopsis. Synopses. Uh, they are, uh, uh, I mean, they're, they're usually ridiculous. horrible, but they're, yeah, they're usually pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess this one is like the very most blandest version of this but yeah that's that's what happens it's also like it might be and could be and maybe and it's like what the fuck like that's not what uh (laughs) that's not what henry is doing throughout the movie like he's not he's not plotting out there sort of screwing them over well and why would the synopsis be like he might have been part of it's just weird i just i feel like um i don't know i it's these these synopses or whatever usually from IMDb they usually go in the most weirdest direction when mm-hmm. you can just say what happened too like it doesn't you know yeah it's okay guys you, it is a synopsis you can tell me you can tell it's me weird. what happened it's weird to think that this movie is three decades yeah scary. really yeah really I always forget that I always forget that it's like usually like a span of We'll get into that, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So what before we get into the discussion, the one uh, thing that I wanted to mention from Scorsese on Scorsese, it is, of course, in the section on Goodfellas and Cape Fear, but he says there is no sense in making another gangster picture unless it is as close as possible to a certain kind of reality, to the spirit of a documentary. So there's Martin Scorsese, <laughs> Martin Scorsese talking about... Uh, making this film as true to his experience and the experience um, in as sort of either a made man or why you couldn't be a made man and, and what have you. So, Mr. Teed, why don't you tell me your history, if you have a history, with Goodfellas, and then after that, tell me what you thought about this film. Not much of a history. I think I watched this. This might This might have been the first mob movie I'd seen, uh, I think ever. Mm -hmm. And I definitely saw it before, uh, Godfather, all the Godfathers. And then, um, I watched this probably before Sopranos. Oh, before watching the entirety Mm -hmm. of the Sopranos. Uh Uh, and now, uh, this is my first time revisiting this film since having seen all of the Sopranos. Mm, and okay. man oh man this movie sure is a lot of sopranos yeah got a lot of uh, uh, a lot of the same guys 
I love it. I, I, all the, some of the best parts of Sopranos is in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in the same way, I always, I may not have always remembered the plot necessarily of this film, just having it around, you know, throughout my, I would say adult life. I really didn't visit this until probably maybe college, maybe post college. Mm-hmm. Um, but having since watched Sopranos and stuff like that, um, having seen clips of this movie and stuff like that, I've always remembered the, the world of this film, the world building mm-hmm. and particularly that crazy ending where he's, um, where he is, uh, uh, paranoid and, and also oh, with all the drugs on, yeah. and all, on, all on drugs and stuff like that, trying to get everything done and do it all quickly and running from here to there. And oh, stuff right, like right, that. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, those are the things that have stuck with me over the years. When I think about uh, this movie, it's always that that oneer uh, uh, through the, the Copa. through the Copacabana, sure. yeah, and then um, and then of course Pesci. Anything with with that, you know, am I funny? Am I a clown to you? Type of thing. Mm-hmm. That's always st- stuck around with me as well. Um, those are the things, but but in it, the thing that I you know I kind of missed or I, I kind of re- didn't realize was. You know, obviously now having seen every bit of and loving every bit of Sopranos is just how much of that world, how much of it's, it's not, it's not copied. It's, but it's almost like as if it could have taken place in the same world, you know, in some ways. Yeah, um, sure. This is, this is of course way more stylized. And oh, for I think, sure. And I think, and I think really fun for it, but, um, super long movie too, isn't it? Isn't it like, <laughs> well, I don't know that we've got into long yet. It's, it's two uh, and a half. Okay. Um, the next one was what I was surprised was as long as it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, two and a half, which, which I guess in the span of time that they're covering in this is, I guess I understand that to me too. This was, this was, um, if we're going through like the, we're, we're going through the, the timeline of Scorsese chronologically with as many as, and I'm trying to watch everything as much as possible. I even watched his New York stories, uh, segment, and whatnot, and 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 liked that well enough, but still seemed very '80s strange. You know, some of the more stranger uh, stuff that uh, Marty's done, but this is kind of like the return, almost mm-hmm. you know, the return uh, yeah. of this, like of that of that magic that he had with um with Taxi Driver and and um, mean King, of, King of Comedy, Mean Streets, all that. Like this, this felt real. I mean, this is probably the quintessential. Um. Uh, uh, Scorsese film. Sure. So. I'd say so. Uh, so my history with this is very similar to yours, but yet a little different to where I had sort of started watching this before I kind of really knew what it was, I guess, you know, because I, I feel like I've seen, I've, I feel like I've seen that trunk opening moment, like dozens of dozens of times where they, at the very beginning where they open it and Pesci takes the kitchen knife and starts stabbing the guy and dig and you know, the digging of the ditches and all those uh, sorts of things. I feel like I've seen just so many times with these three actors. And then funnily enough, the things that I remember are the two um, pistol whipping moments to where Henry Hill, Ray Liotta's character going across the street uh, and, and beating the guy across the street, um, that was roughing up or at least touching Karen, 
I think he said, that, I think she says that he's roughing her up a, a bit. And then the other one, of course, is, uh, Joe Pesci and his, um, you know, he's getting his balls busted and he comes back later and then pistol whips and then they later kill the guy and the made man. And then that sort of sets off the, the rest of the plot of the film. So that's, that, those are the kind of moments that I, I remember. And it's actually the, the cocaine induced, um, scenes, which I sort of, I don't know the forgot, but I was like, Oh, right, right. This is when he, this is when he thinks the helicopter is following him. And Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that part in particular. Is yeah. What I remember. And it's like, Oh, this is where he keeps having his handicapped brother stir the sauce and, and he gives equal measure to both the, the st- the sauce stirring and the helicopter may be following me type stuff. Sure. Um, and so that's, that's the sort of stuff that I don't remember as well, or I found that I didn't remember as well, which I thought was kind of interesting because then when I actually watched the film again, I was like, Oh God, how did I forget all of this? Like what the heck? So, uh, so yeah, what did you, th- so what did you think about this overall then? What, how, like, how did you find it? Was it one that, uh, you watched and was kind of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is, it's, it's a, it's a quote unquote classic, but, I don't know what I thought, or did you sort of fall for this one? I fell for it. It's absolute classic. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think it holds up. I'm not sure, like, these days, if I were to watch a movie like this, if I would necessarily feel the same. If it, if I, You know what I mean? Like, because we have these, like, maybe it's rose-colored glasses. Maybe it's just the fact that this has been part of, part of the, you know, the zeitgeist for decades on end and stuff like that, that maybe that kind of adds to it. But I'm trying to think if this was a movie made today and the one most similar I can think of is Wolf of Wall Street. I just can't like, I can't see myself getting behind this in like a, it's, there's almost a glorification in some ways. Absolutely. But but they're always, but they're always going to be with, with film, you know, you know, in some ways you're watching a piece of entertainment. So how can you not, you know, in some ways kind of semi glorify it, even if you're saying, Hey, don't be like Henry Hill. Maybe mm-hmm. don't like, mm-hmm. maybe don't do this or something like that. But I, it's, it's, I, I'm not sure what to call the effect. I'm sure there's some sort of scientific term for it, you know, in media or, or whatnot, but it's that, that term that you have when you, when you watch, uh, Tony Soprano and he's not a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you watch him kind of go and, and obviously Tony's such a more thought out character because of the TV show. And Oh yeah. The not, amount of time only, you get with him. Yeah. yeah. You're not only getting two and a half hours with him, but you're spanning over 30 years in two and a half hours mm-hmm. with, with this one character. And I, once again, I, I completely forgot about the timeline or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's, it is kind of strange to watch. A, a film like this and kind of glorifying it in a way that like, I don't know. I feel like maybe this is new. Maybe it's not, but I just feel like we're not nearly as glorifying these days of men like this, mm, of sure. particular bad men. Maybe we are, maybe, maybe I guess the argument could like be like, you don't think that, that we romanticize it as much as we used to. I don't think we do. Not since maybe, I don't know. Um, Oh gosh, what's his head, uh, from Breaking Bad? You know, it, oh, there's, uh-huh. like, I guess obviously we do watch bad men doing bad things and we want them to win and we enjoy it and stuff like that. But like, this is different than like last time with the incel Travis Bickle type of stuff. Mm-hmm. This is more like, um, 
um, I'm a I'm a made man. I'm I'm getting away with well, literal murder, but also I'm getting away with with cheating the system in some way. Well, and and sort of fam- family values and cheating sort of everything that you can cheat. Right? Yeah, and and gaming the system as much as possible so that you could you could essentially get this giant house with this like fold away wall that has a entertainment set with with a mini bar in it and all, you know yeah. like all that stuff was fun and cool to watch and stuff like that but at the same time like the like the point of it all the, like to watch it all happen it's really just this inevitable like rise and fall is what it feels like and and you know we have tons of those type of movies but this one just does it really well i think the structure is so sound Hmm. You know, in terms of like what's being shown and what's being done, and then I think the only thing that really is kind of shaky to the, the, the what was I say the going back to the structure real quick, even even the locations and the and the world building and the the, the really strong characters and stuff like that, um, I think all that is just top level like legendary one for the ages you know some of the stuff that's a little shaky for me is the aging of the characters and stuff like that but i mean it can easily be overlooked for me i just don't Mm -hmm. i i I even forgot that it took place over a bunch of decades Mm -hmm. they had a younger actor play henry hill um before ray Liotta took over but there was enough there like even when he was a young boy that you were still seeing this Robert De Niro character walking around mm-hmm. and kind of looking yeah, about the same age, you know, as he was, but they try to touch it up or whatever, but maybe, I don't know, maybe that's nitpicking or whatever, but no, I mean, I don't think, I don't think so. I mean, it's one of those where you, you sort of connect to what you connect to. And if, if that's the sort of thing to where you're like, wait a minute, why is Ray Liotta well, a different guy? And I only noticed it this time because I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess, I guess you would, you would want to, I mean, if this is three decades or whatever, they would show younger versions of them. But then why aren't, why is Joe Pesci like never changing? Well, Joe and Pesci like is that. one of those guys where he always looks like he's much older than he is. Yeah. You know, he just kind of has That's one of true. those faces. And I think that his, his, uh, his voice and his face and his age are, are all kind of at odds with each other. Sure. It's <laughs> where you're looking at him and you're like, well, I guess, I mean, he doesn't, he's not really that wrinkly, but he still looks like he's in his fifties and he's probably actually in his early thirties or late thirties or so. The other thing I kind of, I, I was looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff with this, with this one this time. The other thing that kind of hit me was the, all these men, when they were doing all these and when the story was happening, they were really young uh-huh. and the, the mob or at least the, the, the made men or the mobs or, you know, whatever they're, like their bread and butter, their main guys were like very, very young, like teen to early twenties. Mm-hmm. The fact that they've lived to be, well, I mean, I think Henry Hill died recently. Like he was, he, he died in the, in the 2010s or something like that. Like it'd been, you know, that long, maybe he's still alive. I don't know. Um, either way, the thing is, he, uh, like usually these men don't live to be that old because of the dangerous things that they're doing. So it's just kind of fascinating to, to, with knowing that knowledge that you're watching pretty much from the, from the start, all of these older, older statesmen type of guys, aged guys doing all these things. Cause you know, in the, in the real world where this, where these stories were, started it was when they were really young i mean not looking like uh at all like 
Joe Pesci or, or any of that stuff. But, you know, screw all that. Cause that's, cause all that is, I mean, it's, it's still a good movie. It's still fun to, to watch and it's still fun to see the performances and stuff like that. Particularly Joe Pesci, I think. He was, you know, entirely menacing for years and years. Um, my, probably my first, exposure to him was probably a few years later with home alone oh for sure yeah i mean just i mean it just was i mean uh-huh. and and he was there throughout the 90s and stuff like that but but yeah i mean he really has a presence in that in that film the, i mean obviously de niro does his thing and ray, this was maybe i think this was ray Liotta's first like really big hit i'm assuming yeah, I, well he's the he's he was known because he's you know he's on the poster, but uh, so he was a known quantity. But this is like his first big sort of movie. It's bigger, okay. So yeah, and 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 of course I thought he was just perfect too. I mean mm-hmm. he he really was kind of. Uh, the thing is, he's really good in reacting to the others. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think him himself alone had he really was. The, I'm not trying to like badmouth his performance by saying this. I'm just saying it was nice. It was nice to see him react to others. Well, and yeah, I mean, what, he, that, he, that's he, what made him better than just when it, he, it was just him alone. Yes, because he plays the he plays the central protagonist role, and oftentimes that's the most bland role because that's what's carrying the film, and he's just kind of yeah. a sturdy sort of a. Uh, you need an out entry for point himself. Into this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's just kind of, you know, not only is he doing the narration, but he's also sort of your, yeah, he's your audience eyes, sort of a sort of a character because you get to see with the Copa scene and all of that kind of stuff, you get to see sort of his rise um, to being more involved and more important and all that kind of thing. And um, yeah, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the same because if you had Robert De Niro, the timeline wouldn't work out right. But if, and if you had Joe Pesci, he would be doing too much crazy, and it, it would overtake the sort of style of the film. Oh yeah, you know. And uh, and um, my other really favorite performance was Lorraine Bracco, mm-hmm. um, who plays Karen, his wife, mm-hmm. also and in uh, of course, Sopranos. Yes, I absolutely love her in Sopranos as Doctor Melfi, mm-hmm. uh, who is Tony's um, the uh, therapist. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it's just, it's great because she has a ton of range in this as well. And she also does some narration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I sort of was, forgot about that. It was so interesting because her narration's so good in the moments where they go to, that's more, she's responsible for more of that world building because mm-hmm. what you get from the world of Henry is, the world in which like all right we got to chop this guy up all right we got to go to this restaurant we got to go down and get the guns we have to go down and do this she offers a completely different perspective of i went to this wedding everyone's name was either peter or paul yeah that was, yeah, that was her or, what is it was yeah. it paul and Polly and peter? uh peter and was it oh is that what it was was it peter and Polly? i thought it was something yeah it was paul and Something else, and then and then he goes, and then they all had wives who were named Marie, and <laughs> right. then and named then they said, and then they introduced me to their daughters who were also named Marie. Uh-huh. And it was like she, and that just that little bit of like, that's what the that's what the Sopranos was so good about it was uh-huh. was introducing that world and kind of showing you know regular life, but 
kind of also the mundane part of, of that life. And, you know, um, the other thing with her that was really good was, um, witness protection. Was it witness protection? Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it was where they were going to need to relocate and she starts to get all worried and asking about what about my family and stuff like that. Like I thought she would, I mean, just there's not, not enough good things I can say about Lorraine Bracco, uh, in this, in this, uh, in this film. Um, the other one, what was his name? He plays Spider. He gets shot. Oh, um, that's your guy from, uh, from yeah, the Michael Imperioli, also from the Sopranos, plays Christopher Mozzanti. Yeah, he uh, plays Michael Spider. Imperioli. Mm-hmm. He's brilliant in that show. But man, is it like, it's weird because, um, he very much is a, uh, big shot talker. Oh, my, my, my cousin Tony will take care of you type mm-hmm. of thing. Like, I'll, you know, he's kind of a father figure or a son figure to, for to Tony in some ways, but in here he's so like you know much more timid, and, when I, and it's be, mostly because he's around uh, he's around Pesci mm-hmm. uh, as as Tommy. Um, but like I don't know that like just all, just every bit of this world and stuff like that. It, it I just I absolutely loved how much care was put into it, and, and you know he he really he really grew with this one. Obviously Marty did, but like. He, this he was ready to make this mm-hmm. for probably over a decade, I'm sure, and uh, and it, it was just it was fun and it made it made way more sense for Marty to take this on than really any of the maybe the last handful of films we've seen from him. Yeah, even though something like the Passion of the Christ was or Passion of the Christ, the Last Temptation of Christ, I did, uh, I did that too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Was, uh, even though that was like a, a passion project is where I was going. Um, this is sort of when you can sort of feel, I want to say like his heart maybe, or it's just like he has so much experience in the world already for good or for bad. It's just kind of second nature for him to tell these sorts of stories. And so I don't know. This was the thing where I was kind of, this was the one that I sort of was bracing against. Um, I was ready. To, yeah, I was ready. Yeah, I was ready to come in here and tear this down and be like, "Nah, it doesn't hold up. Oh, this is wrong. This is wrong." Mm-hmm. But like this, you know how we're like, "Well, color of money. It was one for them," and then uh, the last temptation of Christ. It was one for Marty, mm-hmm. and then now it's time for him to make one for them. Now, oh nope, he made one for them and for himself. Mm-hmm. Like this feels like a film that just. Uh, it was it was obviously a hit, but like this feels like it satisfied all the all the right ways, and that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in case people may not know, this was uh this was <laughs> sort of controversially uh, not awarded the best picture, uh, but it was uh, nominated for best picture, best actress for Lorraine Lorraine Bracco, best director, best writing, best editing. And it did win for uh, for best actor in a supporting role uh, for Joe Pesci, and nice. this was a um, yeah. So like I was saying, this is one that I was kind of prepared to not fall in love with. Is kind of what I was thinking, and I kind of I, I really did like it a lot, <laughs> and I was kind of like sort of surprised at how much I I really went for it. And, uh, it's not a thing where this is a, 
this is a world that's familiar to me. You know, this is not something to where it's like, oh, yeah, I also grew up in New York or something. I mean, I grew up in the middle of Nebraska, right? Not in the mob, no? Okay. Yeah, not in the mob. Although uh, Henry Hill did live in North Platte when <laughs> it was after uh-huh. I had moved away, but he did move there and did open an wow. uh, Italian restaurant there for a couple years. Um, and he is dead, by the way, because I looked that I looked that fact up just to make sure I was. I thought not. so. Yeah, I thought I. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, so this was a film that I was prepared to not go for. Um, I did end up liking it a lot, and like I said, I did end up uh, remembering some things that I sort of had forgotten. And of course, the there's there's moments that the the film is known for, and a film will kind of be remembered for like the Copa moment. Um, oh, oh, I should also mention that this lost out in best picture two dances with wolves. So that was this year oh, where, okay. where Costner won a bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, so there's the, the, the Copa moment that we've already mentioned. There's things such as uh, Joe Pesci's death. That is fascinating in this, uh, the oh, way yeah. that they do that. Uh, one of the things that Scorsese had said about that was, um, Let's see. He says, I knew it would make a fascinating film if we could just keep the same sense of the way of life that Nick had in the book, what Henry Hill had given him, and still have an audience care about these characters as human beings, to be as close to the truth as possible in a fiction film without whitewashing the characters or creating a phony symphony sympathy for them and if you happen to feel something for the character joe pesci plays after all he does in the film when he's eliminated then that's interesting to me and i think that that's well said because he is finally reaching this goal of being a made man and he's a dick like he is the worst of all of the characters in the film right like he is the worst (laughs) in this movie and yet you are kind of like, oh, well, you know, yeah, good for him. I mean, it's too bad the other guys can't be made men because of their uh, ethnicity or their specific, you know, their specificity in terms of where their family came from. But good for Joe Pesci. And then to see him get killed the way that he is killed and, you know, the reason that they do it the way that they do so they can't have an open casket and all this kind of detail. And it, I, I like the fact that it does show you a lot of the world to where, like you said, it gives Lorraine Bracco's side of being around the women and they wear too much makeup and their skin is bad and they're just complaining about everything all the time, basically. Hmm. Uh, Then you get all the introductions of the girlfriends and what they do and about how, you know, Karen goes nuts and starts uh, trying to get every, uh, every apartment in that building to either let her in or hear her when she's freaking out on the girlfriend. Oh my god! Uh, and then she holds that gun to Henry, uh-huh. like yeah. he wakes up, and it's just—they're both insane at that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and so you have you have those bits in there, but then you don't get the bits where after the maid man is killed by the three of them, and and you know Joe Pesci specifically after that guy is killed, and that's kind of what the whole film is based around that idea just kind of goes away and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, they just got away with yet another terrible crime and I guess everything will just be fine. And then it comes up out of nowhere and you're like, Oh fuck, I guess I don't have a sense of this entire world. This is just these three guys that we're following. And we're really only following Henry Hill because for, for, for having uh, Robert De Niro in the middle of this poster, this very famous poster, I was like, fuck, he's not in the movie really that much. Like he's not, 
he's not overpowering the movie as much as I had remembered him. Like, I was like, this actually really is Ray Liotta's movie. Yeah. And Robert De Niro is just kind of a side player. De Niro is understated. Uh-huh. And then the moment that he finds out that Tommy's been killed oh, out yeah. there. And the, that's what a, a really moment. good yeah. moment, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, my favorite moment with him is when they um, – is when – let's see. I have it written down here. Oh, it's when he uh, sort of decides that he's going to have to kill everybody. Or that he's going to kill everybody, or I don't know if he ever thinks that he has to, but he just decides that he's going to. Uh, and there's a, a long shot, and it's a slow shot of him just kind of smoking a cigarette. And I'm trying to remember, I've got it in here somewhere. Oh, it's when they do uh, Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. It's when they play that, and he's smoking the cigarette, and it's got that that beginning riff that almost sounds like Inagata De Vita kind of a thing. And it's, um, oh yeah. Okay. At first I was like, wait, when did that happen? Yeah. Okay. Yes. That and was it, a good moment. Yeah. Too. And so he's, he's smoking that he's smoking the cigarette and just kind of looking and deciding like, you know what? I'm killing all these fucking guys. And he's kind of doing that. And I'm like, Jesus, what a shot this is. And it's just such a simple, it's just such a simple way. But this, this, um, this movie is so, and this is like one of the most basic things I can say, but this is, such a film that is um, soundtrack reliant, right? Because they just keep on laying on all of these rock songs that you know. Or now part- we're, we're yeah, we're well, starting like, to get into that as that is a mainstay uh-huh. in in a lot of Scorsese pictures. Mm-hmm. Like like I'm saying, because of his his um, he starts to through Robbie Robertson. With mm-hmm. like the last waltz and a couple other uh, music videos he's done, and he worked on Bad and all you know, all the music videos that he's worked on, and maybe some connections through there has made it probably easier for him to be able to just use a song. Also, he's just making you know solid gold pictures too, uh-huh. so that probably helps as well. Oh, well, it doesn't hurt for sure, right? Yeah, yeah, but that's that's sort of one of the things that he is more known for now, I guess, but it's one of those where you're like, Jesus Christ, like, look at the way that he does this, 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 or look at how this, uh, look at how this music works with this and and that kind of thing. And it, it's really prominent in this film and it, it does feel like a, well, duh, kind of a thing to say, but, but, uh, it's one of those where I watch it and I'm like, Christ almighty, does Scorsese know how to use, uh, use music in his movies? So one of the other things that I thought was uh, was interesting is you know we talked about or I talked about the the beating of the neighbor the copa sequence I'm just going through my notes here we have uh, what did you think about the the use of a voiceover because that's something that uh, I know a lot of people harp on in terms of uh, screenwriting like saying well you shouldn't have to use you shouldn't have to need that basically like your your story should be able to be a story without without the crutch of a vo so what did you how did you feel that that was effective i'm i'm normally in the camp of agreeing with that statement of mm-hmm. it gets too over explainy or uh, you know audience can figure it out or whatever this time i kind of noticed it and thought well why why what is the point of using it what is he trying to do and um, 
I think my clue here is the inclusion of Karen's voice mm-hmm. talking about her side of the story at moments when when you leave Henry for a little while and they're showing more of the world. It becomes kind of a testimonial. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this would have been any better. I'm saying I'm saying uh you could do or you could leave it the way it is or you could add maybe a bookend maybe not, I don't know. Um, of having him in court, you know, talking to the jury. And yeah, the, like and this is judge. part of his, yeah. This is mm-hmm. his testimony. And now we're going to have, you know, in the middle of the story where Lorraine comes in, or, well, uh, Karen comes in and says her piece on stuff or whatever. But uh, you wouldn't want any of that to get bogged down. Right. You know, you don't want to sit there and sit in a courtroom. And have her go, well, as she lights up a cigarette, let me tell you about my... Yeah, because that takes away a lot of their... uh, It it takes away, like, the, is everyone going to survive kind of a feeling. Exactly. And I I just don't... I just don't... I don't think it's needed at all. You know, but... I feel the same way about the... About the... um, about the uh, the voiceover, I think mm-hmm. it's you know it's not extremely necessary, but it did kind of enhance some things. Like I do think some of the jokes you could have just shown that wedding, you know, and you could have just you know there's a there. I think I heard some like you, well, I'll just say like, like you go to the wedding and you hear her talk about you know this woman and that woman and this woman and and whatever, but like you could have easily wrote lines for people as well, mm-hmm. you know, just the same. And it probably still would have been, you know, just as effective. Yeah. But, but I think there's a flavor to just watching them and watch their faces as you're hearing their voices, as if they're recalling this as well. Well, sure. Like, almost like it's all over. Yeah. You know? But and I, te- I do like the fact that it does start out with that, the famous line about, you know, he always wanted to be a gangster. All my life, I wanted to be a gangster, or yeah. whatever it was. And that just and, sets up his character from the beginning, to where you're like, okay, this is this is something that he is pursuing because this is how he wants to live. This is not like a oh, what was him? He got put into this situation. It's like no, this is ideal for me. Like this is what. Oh, I that want. was my that was my la- that was my reason for not like. For be kind of that was one of my knocks. It was oh we're glorifying the gangster. Oh we're blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But like, there's also this ending where you know he does rat out his entire, I guess whatever mafia family, and then gets to spend the rest of his life you know hidden away in this like in the movie. I'm not saying the real Henry yeah. Hill. Uh-huh. I'm saying in the movie he gets to like close the door on his like suburban like pretty nice relatively good home uh-huh. you know he got he got away with everything and 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 was essentially rewarded this life um and closes the door it's almost like the sequel or the continuing last half hour should be okay now that you're caught now that you're in rehab now that you are you know this person it's almost like it's almost like um uh, uh, Sopranos is the continuation of that because mm. it's it's like Ray Liotta would grow to live out the rest of his days in s- suburbia, but then at the same time, like you know, 
try to do try, try giving him anything that's nearly as exciting as his quote glory days, mm-hmm. you know, in the mafia, you know, and stuff like that. So there, there's this like, well, you know, you could, you know, closing the door in a way and him escaping with his life was semi unsatisfying to me. It's almost like something inevitable should have happened. Well, and, and I, I, was, I think that's one of the things that he talks about as well is, is in the book, he talks about how he kind of wanted it to leave, to leave the audience with a, wait a minute. He didn't, he doesn't get put away. Like he's just out doing whatever he wants. Well, that fucking sucks. You yeah. know, like almost like a, uh, I think he, he described it as being an agitation to the audience is like that, a, that's a, like that's an a great word for that yeah. because it's not, it's like, once again, it doesn't like make me hate the film that he mm-hmm. gets away with it. Like, it's almost like, yep, nope, that's about right for America. And, you know, it was very prescient in that way. And this is of course, before we're seeing like the outcomes of, of, I, I watched this uh, maybe a couple weeks before the election, uh-huh. uh, you know, and, and the outcome of that. And, um, you know, it's it's just my understanding that you know when you are that big and you are ha- you have these connections and you are you know in America particularly it's my understanding that you just you don't get what's coming to you mm-hmm. normally uh-huh. uh, you usually get away with it and and that's that and you know life isn't fair in that way and that and to see that you know on the screen it's like okay that it, you know what that that description of it being irritable does not ruin the film but it is ir- an irritant yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. One of the only other thing that I wanted to mention is uh, is another one of the the sort of now um, often mentioned, um, but not between you and I, is uh, the the freeze frames that's used throughout. Uh, and I thought that that was really interesting to where you're kind of going along and then they would freeze and and you're like, oh right, this is a story that's being told. This is not a um, a film that is trying to hook you into. Uh, this is a hundred percent true. This is, this is deadly serious. This is, uh, you know, you're, you're in this sort of mafia, almost like a fairy tale kind of a thing where it's like, you know, and then this guy gets killed and there's not a ton of, um, like anguish until that, uh, the payphone with Robert De Niro's character until that moment, there's not a lot of upset when people die because spoilers, almost everyone dies <laughs> in the movie. And so you're, you're just kind of going along and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, this character died. All right. And then you go along and someone else dies and someone else and someone else and, and so on and so on. And, um, so it's, it's just not a real sort of grounded, dirty look at it as much as it's realistic. It's also got a little sense of, okay, I know what medium I'm telling this story in. And so we're going to play around with it. We're going to have some rock and roll. We're going to have some voiceover. We're going to have some moments where, uh, it shows me being beaten by my father, but then we're going to freeze on him and then he's going to get his later. And just those sorts of things to where it does play around with the form a little bit. And I thought that that was, really welcome because otherwise I think if you take this too seriously, it just becomes too much. It becomes, it just becomes overbearing and, and kind of a burden to watch instead of uh, a film that's surprisingly a lot more fun than I thought it was. Uh, and a lot more enjoyable than I thought. Yeah. That's, that's probably the number one thing is that how, how you could, you could easily digest this and two and a half hours fly Mm -hmm. by just because of how, 
just how simple it, it and the thing is the, the other the other cool thing about this story is that it is so small scale mm-hmm. like it's not like they're you know you know giant new york gangster dons or whatever you know they're or capos or whatever they're 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 just street toughs mm-hmm. in the end they yeah. go from bar to bar or you know from place to place and and try to um you know, take take the guns from this place to that place. Like it's it's such a smaller scale world. It's yeah. it's it's a street corner and a couple of buildings. Um, that's that's nice too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So. Because it doesn't uh, it doesn't try to say anything about um, being a, a mobster or a gangster or you know it's not trying to fix anything or it's not trying to solve any big issues. It's just telling this one story through about 30 years or so. And, and so, yeah, really, really good. Uh, people haven't checked it out. Obviously Ben and I both recommend this. I cheated and posted my letterboxd uh, numbers or star ratings after you did, oh. which was a deliberate choice this time around. Uh, so, gotcha. and, and you and I both gave this a four and a half out of five. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, the only thing that keeps it away from being a five is this is just not a story that I would want to endure time and time again. Uh, to where no. it's, it's one of those where I just kind of like, all right, I'm good for a while I now. I don't need to return. That, I know there are people that would like totally be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch good, I'm putting in Goodfellas tonight. This is gonna be great. And so, and then, like, I, I knew people like that growing up even that would put this on. But for me, it's like, it's, it's so, it's so epic and it's so large of a film to to really warrant something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one that I could probably have to I have to revisit every like five or ten years or so. Yeah, you know, because it it is it is fun in that way. Um, yeah. But but no, yeah, I, I I recommend it. I think my my less than half star was maybe more of the. Of the uh, the thing I was talking about with with the with the glorification with the mm. with the with the irritation at the end, uh-huh. and then also just like this weird thing that I couldn't get rid of in my head of like why are they all so old, you know? Oh. <laughs> but that's but that's him working with his with his family of of his troop of of actors that he loves working with, you sure. know? Like what it's it's it, to expect. To not expect that is crazy. You just don't, you don't ask, you know, Wes Anderson to not work with these four or five actors over and over again, right? Yeah, know, or, or the Tarantino or whatever, or even know. like someone like a Mike Flanagan who keeps, uh, you know, from The Haunting of Hill House and then Bly Manor and all of his other projects, he works with the same people, and that's just oh, kinda, is that right? Did yeah. the actors came back and played completely different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Maybe, yeah, maybe and in some of his films, out. like uh, like Hush, is where. He met um, his now wife, and they worked together on that movie. And she was That's in cool. Hill House, and she was in Bly Manor, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's uh, I don't think it's as uncommon as um, you know. Usually, it's it's someone like a Doug Jones or somebody that's like a you know more of a part time bit role as opposed to a Robert De Niro or something like that. But that's why you know Scorsese and De Niro are so uh, kind of go hand in hand. Uh, at times. So, all right. Well, anything else about uh, Goodfellas before we move on to our second film? Nope. I'm all set. Okay. So our second film, it is from just the following year, according to IMDb, which is craziness when you think about uh, the scope of Goodfellas and then he jumps directly into another film. Yeah. But it is so it is from 1991 and it is the 
one for them film, Cape Fear. <laughs> And the IMDb plot synopsis for this one goes like this. Imprisoned for brutally assaulting a young girl, Max Cady spends his time in jail wisely, reading literature, sculpting his body to perfection, and planning his violent revenge on the defense lawyer who put him behind bars. Defense is spelled wrong. After serving his 14-year sentence, Cady is released from prison, and his rampage begins. So, Becky's Y... Kane, Beck, Bex, Bexy. I think that's what it, that's supposed to be. Bexy, Kane. Uh, spelling mistakes, but not too bad. Not too bad, really. Um, so tell me about your history with uh, Cape Fear. My first time seeing Cape Fear was maybe th- two or three years ago, um, and I had a a uh inter inter friends couples uh like a couples uh film club kind of thing like me and my wife were a part of uh another group of couples that all like was like let's all just have someone in the group pick a movie and then we we talk about it or whatever back when we were allowed to go visit other people's houses god damn you're fancy um, 
Yeah, it was fun because we drank and we almost never talked about the movie. But it was fun because a lot of the husbands were very much interested in film. And we all would talk about the movies while the wives were just kind of like, whatever, I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) So we try to pick crowd pleasers and stuff like that because, you know, not everyone there is is, as cinematically literate. Uh But um, someone uh, named Ben Teed uh, made the choice of Cape Fear because I was super excited to see a Scorsese I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, it was this I, version. You didn't make them do the yeah. Gregory and I Peck. forget what it, I, th- I think the act because we we actually had a really fun time pulling like categories out of a hat, and it was like you have to watch a remake or something. Oh, and I'm okay. like a remake, Smart. and I'm like ah oh, crap. Like I don't want to make watch make everyone watch a crappy remake. And I'm like, well then I won't have them watch a crappy remake. I'll have them watch something really cool. And so I found Cape Fear, and I'm like, oh well, this is. I think I I think it was my choice. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, all right, everyone, Martin Scorsese, one of the best. Let's sit down, let's watch it. You know, sometimes we'd watch it together, sometimes we wouldn't. And man, I hated it the first time I saw it. I oh, thought wow. this was, I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't even I don't get what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And um, and honestly, when I when I knew this was on the list and I knew we were coming up on it, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be vegetables again. I'm probably gonna have to. Well, no, vegetables are actually good for you. So like, this is this is gonna be garbage, you know, uh-huh. stuff like that. Uh-huh. Whereas this time, I had a much better reaction to it. I knew what I was in for. This was Scorsese doing Hitchcock mm-hmm. totally and I way I enjoyed it way more this time and came out thinking like this is a nice good I think this is a good film mm-hmm. like this to me isn't a great film it isn't one of the best he's ever done but man if this was on TV you know like let's say like on HBO or something like that or you know just happened to be on I, I would sit down and I'd, I'd probably still keep watching it or whatever uh, Scorsese. Um, De Niro is gives a ton of himself. In yeah, this movie. He's, he's doing the most acting. He's the big. Yeah, he's yes, he's doing the most. De Niro. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, I, I I enjoyed it this time for the little uh, uh, winks and nods that this one was trying to do. Um, mm-hmm particularly having certain character actors or or classic actors uh, back either to reprise their roles or uh, to hide themselves within the film. And kind oh, of sure, like, yeah. You know, because I know Mitchum... I think it might have been... Was it Mitchum's last film? What, someone... It was Gregory so someone, Peck's last movie. It was Peck's last film, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, but, uh, but, you know, seeing him and... Uh, you know, I, I listened to a podcast where they just love Joe Don Baker... And, uh, yeah, Pure Cinema loves them. Pure Cinema loves Joe Don Baker, and mm-hmm. I love Joe Don Baker. So, just based off of the stuff I've seen him in, so I kind of enjoyed seeing him very involved in the climax of this film. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I I think you know Nick Nolte. I was like, where the heck did they find? Did did Marty find Nick Nolte? And of course, he was in the New York Stories segment, absolutely uh, yeah. segment, which was nice uh, to to see him back and whatnot. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think, I think this is a nice little film in comparison to the epic that was Goodfellas. This was also a very contained small story, uh, but it was fun to kind of like go through. It, it's it's watching Marty trying to do a a semi Hitchcock impression. Uh-huh. And it, it was fun to see him try something like this, especially since we all know what a huge 
film geek this guy is and mm-hmm. wants to I know it's a terrible phrase for him but I mean he is he is cinema he is he is like this walking talking cinema person so it's like him him trying on this suit and seeing how it works and 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 seeing the elements and and putting that out for for uh Cape Fear was fun so um so that's essentially my background of of having going from absolutely going what did i do why did i make this decision of having us all watch this to being like you know what i have an appreciation for this film now and 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 think that it is while very strange <laughs> uh still think it's it's I think it's worth a look, but you kind of have to know what you're getting into. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's pretty much right. So this is one that I had seen before. This is one that I, um, we've actually done a recording on before. This is the first one of those where we've come across a film that I've already recorded on. And our theme was, it was when Rachel and I were doing remakes and it was at the beginning of Uh volume three of the Plain Label podcast, I believe it was volume three, where we were doing, um, it was either remakes or returns or something like that. And, and, um, but we've definitely did this one because that's when I had first watched, uh, the original Cape Fear was for that podcast. Nice. And my thoughts are pretty much the same as, as they were, uh, you know, a year or two ago or whenever it was that we recorded in that I thought that this was fine. Uh, this is very much a late 80s, early 90s film in terms of just the kind of, um, you know, with the, with it just being, with it just being Jessica Lang and Nick Nolte and Robert De Niro and Juliette Lewis. Like this is all the sort of, I was old enough to sort of know a little bit about like, oh, this is this person again. <laughs> this is this uh, <laughs> filmmaker. This is this actor. This is this person that I recognize, like that kind of a thing. And so uh, I was old enough for that, I guess. But this is a thing where I watch it and I'm immediately struck by what a sleazy, pulpy score that this is. Like it is so yeah. much a B-movie type of a thing to where I'm like, oh, okay, it is telling you right away, like, this is the kind of movie that we are. <laughs> like, do not expect this to be some sort of, um, you know, like, the, it's not a uh, Last Temptation of Christ sort of look at the burden of a person or something like that, right? Like, this is a, um, you know, this is the sort of... Which, you know, s- go ahead. maybe a couple years ago, to, to kind of to kind of add to what you're saying here, a couple years ago... I would have thought anything with Scorsese's name on it would have been nothing but prestige, the aviator, Wolf of Wall Street. Uh-huh. Like here's here's what I know him from. Taxi driver, mm-hmm. Goodfellas, like Yeah, Raging Ball, all, all of those. Yeah, I it, yeah, I never really caught any of his like you know, smaller, schlockier type of movies. And I think that's what kinda you know, he's he's doing his best to try to create this like schlocky Maybe maybe drive in maybe maybe, maybe uh, like cult maybe one that would get like a cult status type of thing uh, added to the name you know in some in some form but you know yeah you know it's it's one of those things that that like I just I guess I like it it certainly feels like this isn't him trying to seriously make a prestige picture like like no, he, like no. he's done. 
Yes. It's him trying to make, he's trying to make that type of film. Like yeah, you said, yeah, yeah. like it's spelling out at the very beginning of the film that this is what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does, it does go into the book where it talks about how, you know, he, this was his attempt, like you had mentioned of doing a Hitchcock, like doing a sort of, uh, you have so many, like, um, I don't know what the specific term is, but it's like a rolling zoom into someone's face. Like you have so many of those to where it's, it's not a cut to a close up on someone's face. It's a cut to a wide shot. And then they zoom in on the person's <laughs> face to get close up. And I was right. like, wow. I was like, that is such a earlier era of filmmaking that is kind of not as in vogue by the time that this was made. But then it does have the sort of, uh, domestic disturbance kind of films that were coming out around this time with your, uh, uh, whatever the film with, uh, fatal attraction, like that sort of a, a feel to it, like that sort of a vibe or even like gotcha, a basic yeah. instinct or something, you know, like it just kind of had that sort of kind of sleazy, kind of dirty kind of a movie. Um, one of the things that I was, uh, that I frankly kind of forgot about, uh, this time around was we open with Juliet Lewis speaking directly to the camera, which I was like, wait a minute, what is this supposed to be? And that was something where I was like, what is, what is this moment? Because she does end up, uh, you know, bookending the film because she's the one who's speaking as the film goes out. And I was like, wow, that's weird. Like, I didn't notice that uh, before that she's at the beginning of the film. It looks like she's speaking to the class, but she's not really like it, I was thinking like, oh, she's just giving some sort of a presentation. But then if you. I don't know, or actually paying attention or not drinking when you're watching it, you're like, oh, yeah, she's not doing anything. She's just talking directly to audience. And you're like, that's it sort is, of yeah. a strange choice. <laughs> I mean, I, once we once we started it, though, and I saw her, I, it, I mean, that was like, oh, we're back in it. Okay, mm-hmm. I know I know what this is again. Uh-huh. And then by the end, when I see the, the fishing line pulling the teddy bear, Joe Don Baker with this tiny little snub nose like i'm just like yes like okay yes i'm this is this is why i'm here yeah (laughs) well let's let's go ahead and jump to that so that for me that's the more effective climax so it's the it's the house the uh you know not too long ago we did a uh a halloween movie marathon and my topic was houses and and the first uh set of films that i would that I would program would be about films where you're trying to break into a house and about how that's one of the things that scares me. And so in this film, when it's at the end and you have Max Katie and he's, he's, uh, it looks like they've got it all set up and it's a little home alone ish (laughs) to where they're like, yeah, we got him tricked. You know, we're going to have this and this is going to pull this thing and we'll figure it out. And Joe Don Baker's there and, he gets the piano wire and then I, for whatever reason, like I, I was really kind of taken aback this time around where he gets the, the piano wire and it immediately starts cutting into his skin. And then the sort of bullet that goes on the side of his face was like, holy shit, this was a lot more, uh, vicious than I remembered it being. Absolutely. You know? And and the thing is, I don't think there's anything really before that that well i mean there's there's the big moment with iliana douglas with uh with her getting picked up by max and then he handcuffs her and then breaks her arm and bites her face and yeah even that though wasn't nearly yeah yeah no well because then he gets because then later he gets beaten remember that's right 
Yeah. Yeah, you're so right. There's just, but it, what it, what it was, well, speaking, the... speaking to what you were saying though, what it, what it does do is it just gives small glimpses of pretty intense gore. Yeah. Like, it's not like Goodfellas to where the whole thing, you're like, all right, anyone can die at any moment. So I'm kind of at high alert all the time. This is just like a, um, he's just kind of messing with the guy psychologically and now he's really deadly and vicious. So that, that sort of struck me a little harder than I was expected, than I was expecting. There was another, oh man, there was a, gosh, I sure wish I had written any of this down. There was something with the South and being from the South mm-hmm. and talking about that. Oh man, there was like a connection that I was trying to make, but there really wasn't the evidence there. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- like it, they alluded to, uh, particularly the South and, and in America and, uh-huh. and being on like a, like a plantation type of thing that made me suddenly think, well, is this, is this a does this mean something in particular like i what i'm saying is i saw two beats in a pattern maybe three and it was enough for me to sit up straight and go wait what did i just <laughs> did i just see what i just saw mm-hmm. like and throughout this movie mm-hmm. and i i'm i'm going to have to prob- probably revisit it to know exactly what i thought but it, you know you know it's, you stare at any you know, stare at anything for a while. You might see a pattern or something like that. Yeah, but that there seems some... like something that if you are wanting to find it, you might be able to. Yeah, and and the thing is, I that's why I wish I had written it down because now, I mean, this is a couple weeks later after having mm-hmm. watched it. So I um so and, and I was trying to connect it to like the swamp or the bayou or the storm uh-huh. that night or uh-huh. him being like handcuffed to something below to the point where he's like halfway out. You know that shot of him with just his eyes just staring at him or something like that. But there's really no racial or anything like that. But man, I kind of wish I could remember those, uh, those examples. So sorry about that. No. So one of the things that I kept sort of hoping for was I kept, I kept putting on the expectation of that. This is going to be more than what it actually is trying to be. You I know, think like, I did too. like we were saying, it, it's a it's a film where it knows exactly what it is and it it succeeds in what it's trying to do. That isn't something that is always um, on my sort of uh, top things that I want to watch, I guess. And so when I watch it, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, here's this again, and yeah, it's doing it's doing this fine, but I don't necessarily love that. And uh, De Niro's uh, De Niro's accent work is supposedly fairly authentic because he did go have people record saying certain lines that he had in the script, and then he was supposedly emulating them um, and basing it off of uh, actual accent. But it was just a lot. Like I said at the beginning, like it, he was doing, he wa- should have won the Oscar for most acting, right? Not yeah. necessarily best. He got nominated for best, but. Uh, most I'll, I would go along with because he is just chewing up every single scene that he is in. And um, one of the things that I mentioned before we were recording, the scene that actually got me the most was when the when uh, Jessica Lang calls Nick Nolte and they talk about uh, the dog dying. 
And that was the scene where I was like, oh my God, like what a way to describe it. And, and it just so happens that a week ago today, we said goodbye to our little cat that we've had for, that my wife's had for 16 years. Oh my gosh. And so, Sorry. and so that was a, a, a somewhat not great day for me. Uh, that's how I actually spent my birthday <laughs> was, uh, with, was taking the cat into the vet and, and going through all that. And so this was the first film that I had watched that had some sort of death of an animal. And I was like, Oh fuck. I was like, how terrible. And then oh, to so have, sorry. and then to have, uh, Juliet Lewis talking about how my mom's dog, she calls it. And is, and, uh, because when they have that very famous scene, um, in the auditorium, and he's like, well, yeah, my mom's dog died. Instead of saying like our dog died or my dog died, I was like, oh my God, like that's really, like she's really playing up this, I'm my own person. I'm stronger than my age may make you think kind of a, a, a thing. And, and I think that as uncomfortable as that scene works, I think that, uh, De Niro is right because that was supposed to be, according to the book, that was uh, originally this was a Steven Spielberg film um, for people that didn't know that. Oh, I do know. Okay. Yes. And so then when Scorsese took it over, some of the things got changed. And one of them was this, where they, this was originally a chase sequence through this auditorium. And he just was like always the aggressor, always trying to, you know, he's going to kill her. He's going to rape her, that kind of stuff. You know, it's going to be that sort of a performance. And instead they, uh, they ad-libbed this scene and they ad-libbed, uh, him putting his thumb in her mouth. Um, and all of that was an ad-lib. And, uh, supposedly, according to the IMDb trivia, that Juliette Lewis, uh, developed quite a crush on Robert De Niro based on, uh, this film. And, wow. uh, and so that was, that was the, uh, that was me finally coming around to why I'm drinking the wine called Crush. Uh, because uh, I think that that is that is the scene in the movie, yeah. right? Like I that, think we're alone now. Yeah, and I was like, God, how like that is the worst, but also the best scene in the film, because that is the most uncomfortable moment in the film. That is the most like, oh, I get that De Niro can do more than just menace. Like his um, his character can do more than just menace. Totally. And I was like, oh, okay, like, fuck, this scene's good. Um, and then the, the mention, uh, what we already mentioned, the Jodan Becker scene, like, that was really intense and exciting and engaging for me. When they get on the boat, I'm kind of out. Like, I'm, I'm kind of out of it once they get there because I'm like, oh, okay, like, this is very, this is what I'm thinking of when I think of, like, late 80s action or early 90s action to where it's sort of silly and it goes on for forever. I felt like to where I was like, yeah, God, truly. they're on the boat for a long time because, um, one of the things that we hinted at earlier was this is a two hour and eight minute film and it should be probably at most like an hour 45 to where it is, it is flabby as hell to where I'm like, God, cut out some of this stuff. Like I get that he's a menace, but it just keeps going back to the same well over and over and over. And it's like more propulsion, like get to it, get to the point already. But the I, other I did look, one of the like, other great scenes, and then I'll uh, be quiet. Is um, I liked when Jessica Lang and Nick Dolte get an opportunity to have it out, and they start talking about um, even though he's not sleeping with 
Ileana Douglas, um, it's, he definitely is about to, or wants to, or is thinking about it or trying to figure out a way to make that happen. And she calls him out and they have things like, Oh, this is just like an, when we were in Atlanta. Um, and he's like, Oh, it's not like that at all. You know, that great Nick Nolte voice. And he, uh, he says that, uh, he accuses her of gravitating to people that are like her, right? Like you gravitate, gravitate to people like you that happen to be around you is what he said. Oh, that's what he says when he's talking about why he's interested in Ileana Douglas. Like he's just happens oh, to be around yeah, her when they're, right? when they're in the bar. Yeah. 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 And, and then she says, uh, uh, Jessica Lang says, well, you gravitate to women just in general, <laughs> right? Like in period, that's what she says about uh, the Nick Nolte character. So I don't know. I was glad that, while I'm saying, yes, cut this down, trim a lot of stuff here, I thought that that was a big moment that I was glad that they kept in there when they're having that big fight in their uh, upstairs bedroom. And they're using a lot of split diopter to where they're both in focus and they're doing, you know, he's brushing his teeth and she's in the background and all that kind of stuff. I watched this movie very close to uh, wa- uh, rewatching uh, the Robert Mitchum uh, film from, I think it's 54. 50- Four or fifty-five, Night of the Hunter. Oh yeah, uh-huh. another one that you've talked with uh, with uh, to Zach. Yeah, and there's something about that coming into town being extremely extremely manipulative to the point where to talk about the scene you were just talking about, like he's really good at causing or or, or shining a light on uh, certain elements of um, of Katie's life. Mm-hmm. That makes it so that in so there's doubt being yeah. driven home. Yeah. Yep. Um, doubt is being uh, breeded between uh, his wife and daughter, and so throughout the film, all 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 uh, all of that. Uh, Katie, oh excuse me, not Katie. Uh, Katie is the one that's uh, making the doubt. It's Bowden. Um, through his family. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie, all he has to do is just tip one little domino and, and, and there's problems in the home life forever. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, he's, so, he knows the pressure points. Like he there's knows a lot the of sharpness points. there mm-hmm. in the, in, in conciseness in that, in, in that construction of that story. So that I kind of appreciated that. Um, yeah. the, that's, that's one thing The Ileana Douglas character is one that I completely forgot about that violence and that stuff. Cause they, it almost seems like, once she is in the hospital, uh, and you see her in that horrible, like, you know, visceral scene, she, they really do move on. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I guess there's not much else to, to, to yeah, say. Yeah, because he do. just makes a phone call to her, and that's what, that's what starts the whole fight with him and Jessica Lang. Um, right. Is when he's checking up on her. But yeah, that, that's the moment where, you know, she is, uh, just as emotionally broken as she is physically because she doesn't want Sam to look at her. And, um, yeah, that's tough. I mean, she, she gets kind of the short end on both of these films. Like she's in, she's in Goodfellas and she's in this and, uh, you know, in Goodfellas, she's Joe Pesci's woman for a little bit. And then here she plays Lori and gets the shit kicked out of her. And that's kind of all she gets to do. I'm going to go back to the history of this film too for myself. And say maybe the first time I had heard of this concept was probably the Simpsons episode. Oh yeah, that this okay. was based off of Westside Show Bob. Yeah, 
because Sideshow Bob is is has all the tattoos on his back and he's mm-hmm. doing the pull ups in prison and then he finally gets out and then they even have that same shot of the you know him walking completely towards the camera to the point where his face fills the screen. Uh-huh. Um, so there's that. Okay, so the thing I heard with this movie was he traded it with Spielberg for Schindler's List. Oh, interesting. Like Schindler's List was getting passed around. And so they were like, I don't really want to work on this. I don't know. And then Spielberg saying, I don't know if I'm right for, for, uh, for, for Schindler's List. Perhaps, you know, maybe Marty should take it because, you know, he's the, you know, he could do the prestige type of movies and blah, blah, blah. And, and it happened the way it happened. Yeah. So. That's crazy. The, one of the things that it said in the book there was it is, when it was a Spielberg film, this was a family that all got along and they sang together at the piano and they did all of this kind of stuff. And, and so Scorsese brings in the, no, this family is already about to burst and all it needs is a little push from somebody. And then all of the shit's going to go terrible as opposed to a more, uh, more sort of like a, uh, close encounters type of a deal to where they're, they're okay ish. Um, and then, you know, the, the encounter and then the sort of disintegration of the family and that sort of thing. But, um, so I, I thought that that was interesting. I think that the correct choices were made. Well, I don't think that this, this is a great film. I would not have wanted to see Spielberg do this and then, uh, not do Schindler's List. It would be interesting to see what Scorsese's version of Schindler's List would have been, but. I wouldn't have wanted to trade it and take that movie away. And no, no offense to Marty, but like, and and no offense to Spielberg or really anybody that's Jewish, but you know, I would rather see some. I would rather see a non-Christian, uh, particularly of Jewish persuasion, oh, do yeah, the film. Do, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I feel like that's 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 territory that should be tread by by. That's a story that should be told by that group of people sure you know and 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 um the the thing that that is throughout all of scorsese's works i'm i was looking for particularly um religious iconography throughout goodfellas mm. and i'm sure there is well, there's, if you're yeah, looking there's, hard. well there's the jewish uh and then he wears the cross and and karen tells him to oh, button right. it up and and yeah. there's, there's that whole discussion and then it, that's I, good when you look at the um when you look at when they're getting married, he's got the Star of David and the cross, so it's just kind of all uh, set dressing for him. Like it's right. not, it's not. He doesn't actually believe in any. Henry Hill doesn't believe in any of those things. He just kind of puts it on as like a symbol, a symbol of like, oh, I fit in with this group or something. But even something like in um, Mean Streets, where he's holding his hand to the flame. Oh yeah, for sure, or something like that. Like in in terms of paying penance and, mm. and stuff like that. It's such a, it's such a reoccur Catholicism and feeling sorrowful and so, and perpetually sorrowful for your sins is such a, uh, uh um, repeating motif that yeah. happens. Well, you get that here. Throughout. You get that here at the end with, uh, with the blood that's literally on Sam's hands. Yes. That's you right. You were, we were going in the same oh, okay. direction. But yeah, no, I mean, that's, but that, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I wonder if there are any in this movie. And then, yeah, you got it. But that's, yeah. 
I'm sure there's others too. I mean, even in his even in his uh, imagery that he has tattooed on him. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, because he's very religious, right? And he keeps and he talks about uh, oh he's he does something. He's being a baddie to to Sam, and he says, "Oh, it's between Ruth and blah and uh, Psalms or whatever." And it's supposed to be a reference to Job, and it, like he has different religious uh, things that he's that he twists, yeah. But- but also, yeah. I think there's something to his, to his, uh, his crimes as well that have to do with something. Maybe, maybe they didn't get it too much, too far into that, but mm. no, it just added to it. I'm not saying it was a focus. I'm mm-hmm. just saying it, you know, it, with each passing film, him being a, a Christian Catholic or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it is one mm-hmm. of those that like, it's, it's nice to, nice to bring that up every, every, episode or two with with um how it's going on there oh the other thing i forgot to mention about uh goodfellas was um his mom oh right yeah getting a pretty major role really a major role but getting another appearance uh in the kitchen making her sauce making her you know famous meatballs or whatever (laughs) in the same way that she's doing in uh italian american right uh, which is also i believe on youtube and still really really funny and good Full of funny stories. So, hmm. so yeah, interesting. So I, I again, uh, like I told you, I snuck a look and we um, rated this the same as well. Uh, oh, did we? Okay. To, to where we're both at three and a half. Uh, to where it's it's good. It's not. Uh, this is not high art or fine cinema. Uh, this is a, a B film, or as close as Scorsese gets to making a B film, I believe. And it's just kind of a, um, you know, it's he's he knows what he's doing, and it's just a different attempt to him to kind of to break out from what he typically does, which is probably good for the mind. You know, he doesn't have to be as deeply as invested. Uh, you know, we talk about how this is one for them. It definitely did well, which I'm kind of surprised. You know, this almost being 30 years ago, right? Yeah, it, yeah. That, I was say, uh, like... that do the math. <laughs> <laughs> do the math quick. Oh my um, goodness! With it being almost thirty years ago, that uh, it hasn't been attempted again because it it cost thirty five million. It made a hundred and eighty two million. So it made quite a bit of money, and this is not a time specific story. And it just seems like in the world of remakes, I'm surprised that no one's gone after this one. Or if they have, they've just retitled it to where they don't have to pay out royalties and such. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's fine the way it is. I mean, for what the story is, mm-hmm. for what, you know, you, I almost feel like it lends itself better to to this type of, of B-movie skin to it. Rather oh, sure. Than, yeah, it would be interesting know, just, to see what it would be, what it would look like in like a 2020, um, just to see, because you would you would have to have more diversity in the cast. You'd have to have a different sort of flavor to what's going on in the film. And it would just kind of be interesting to see if you can bring maybe some social injustice into the, into the picture. Maybe it's a white lawyer and it's a black guy um, who is wrongly convicted or something. Oh yeah. You you could have a lot more to say than what this version of, of the film has to say. Sure. yeah. Yeah. Um, did you ever catch the original? Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. Mm-hmm. How did do you? How does that compare at all? 
Uh, you know, I like the performances better. Um, oh, I will really? say, yeah, I do think that Robert Mitchum and Gregory Peck, I think, are both better than uh, De Niro and Nolte. Um, it is not a lawyer. I believe it is. He is a witness, if my memory serves. Okay. Uh, and so he is a witness to a crime that he thinks he saw, and he, the guy's put away for it. Um, and then he's like, well, what did you see, and what did you think that you saw, and that sort of thing. I think if you make this in 2020, I think you put someone in in the Katie role. I mean, I'm I'm just gonna say his name, and it's and you're just gonna be like, yep, nope, that's who should play Max Katie. It should be Nick Cage. Oh, it interesting. Be, it should be Nick Cage who can go full Nick Cage and just be a crazy person. Keep it schlocky. Keep it real crazy. I don't know who I would put. Uh, up for the Sam Bowden role, but like you know, if if you're gonna do this again, thing is though, like they they both seem middle aged in this. Yeah, I would put. Uh, what about and, like a Winston Duke that played uh, the dad in Us? Oh yeah, because he's kind of yeah. like he kind of plays that sort of educated, but also like a big man, and that might be interesting to see crazy Nick Cage against. Good point. Does the does the idea that he's in prison and and uh, that that our Max Katie with Robert De Niro here like that he is that something that in the previous version uh, he's like doing pull ups and is super ripped and has all these books on the wall or anything like that? No, that, have any... that's more of this version. Uh, I believe I believe it's just more of a I'm going to plan on getting revenge on you. Okay. Kind of thing. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that was some of the, the late 80s, early 90s flair that they put. Uh, it's kind of neat that, that it has this, that this has this type of skeleton that you could almost plug in certain elements and see how that would work. Yeah, because it's, like, com- be fun- mean, it's not a complex story, right? Like, you can no. kind of put whatever you want around uh, the idea of someone's maybe wrongfully put in jail and how they react when they get out. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, you know, maybe he deserved to go there, but maybe the evidence itself doesn't point to, um, you know, technically it, it was, wouldn't have been for that specific crime, but maybe f- just because he's a, you know, he's a dickhead, he should have been in jail anyway, that kind of a thing. It'd be interesting. I'm sure there's other movies that are like it, and, and people can let us know if uh, if there's obvious ones that uh, that we're missing. So, all right. Well, anything else about uh, either one of these films before we uh, say goodbye this time, Mister Teed? No, I think I, you know, I'm this time nothing, nothing, none. Excuse me, nothing about these two films was very painful. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was very easy to get through. Yes. None of this was, was chores or anything like that. And it, <laughs> and it felt very nice to be able to just sit down and enjoy them both again in a, in a completely new context. Sure. Uh, yeah. Even though I had seen both of these. So I'm like, well, time to, time to break. And I had actually seen them both recently. Oh, interesting. Uh, probably yeah. within the last few years. So, huh. all right. Well, yeah, I don't have anything else. Uh, so I guess 
going ahead and uh, wrapping us up. If you have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the show over at Twitter. Our handle is at plainlabelpod, where you can follow me. I'm at ericwilliams79. We also have an Instagram account. Just search for Plain Label Podcast, and you'll find us over there. If you wanted to help out the show a little bit, you could check out our show notes, where you'll find the link to our Amazon wish list. So I do want to thank Mr. Teed for coming on. Once again, if people wanted to hear more from you or get in touch with you, where could they do that at twitter on and on letterboxd at ben teed all right well thank you for listening and you can join us next week when we take another look at two martin scorsese films and we are on 1993's the age of innocence and the return to the mobster sort of uh genre with 1995's casino Sunshine of your love